Hello, everybody, and welcome to Sonic Talk, episode 499. What can you buy for £499? What could you get for 400 That's 499 hours. So our next episode is 500. No, 500. That uh, feels like a massive milestone. But uh, in between then, we've got a couple of weeks off, so uh, you'll have to stay tuned. And uh, hopefully you'll be able to join us. I want to say hello to our YouTube chatties. Hello there. I managed to get the YouTube chat up on the screen today. And also... Uh, IRS, IRC, IRS chatties, IRC chatties. If they were IRS chatties, that could be awesome. I could charge for it, possibly, or something. Anyway, <laughs> this is the podcast that talks about all things to do with music technology, music production, live production, live sound, live uh, performance, uh, controllerism, synthesizers, keyboards, drum machines, all that kind of stuff surrounding that entire world. And I want to say a big thank you to our sponsors for the competition this week. Uh, Isotope will be giving away a copy of their RX6 uh, audio restoration suite, which does a lot of things that are very useful in terms of music production. More on that a bit later on, so do stay tuned. Uh, but meanwhile, we'll say hello to our guests. Uh, we'll start with, uh, let's start with Ben, aka DivKid. He's been on a couple of times before. I think the last time we had you, Ben, was um, before, just after Superbooth, right? Yeah, yeah. Synfield, modular, Superbooth show, yeah. Excellent. Well, if, you, if you're not aware of what Ben does, check out his channel. Uh, is it DivKid Video on YouTube? Yeah, DivKid, DivKid Video does a lot of great modular stuff and synthesis and all those good things. Nice to have you aboard, Ben. And it's a lovely backdrop you've got there. Nice, Nicely filled. How much HP are you packing? <laughs> uh, I could tell you rolls. What's that? One, three, four, six, nine. Uh, more than I care to count. Right. Okay. <laughs> it goes above shot and there's some stuff. What's your best? What's your best module? <laughs> you need to start doing that. Me and you at Superhoof next year. What's the best module in this case, and not ask anything else? Yeah. <laughs> um, an odd question, but probably the DLD is the most fun for me. The 4MS um, dual looping delay. The way ah. it shifts between a long form three minute looper and a delay. Really creative. Whether I have friends around playing acoustic instruments or chopping up vocals with rappers or just firing beats into it really really fun yeah i've heard a lot of good stuff about that actually so uh, yes a good choice sir uh, and also we have mr rich hilton who is not at home he's uh, currently on the road with chic and earth wind of fire where in the world are you today richard I'm in Oakland, California, ah, right now, where okay. it's early in the morning and very bright and sunny out. Yeah, I can tell it's early in the morning because your voice is about a third of an octave lower than usual. <laughs> <laughs> is, that, is that right? Okay. <laughs> it could be the acoustics, of course. Anyway, Rich, so you're on the road with Chic and is Earth, Wind and Fire. You're doing a, uh, a, a gig tonight with them? Yeah, tonight's the uh, opening salvo in this uh, rather extensive national tour that will go to most of the end of august wow that's going to be a lot of fun on the road i noticed you sporting a moog t-shirt there yes it's a old older school moog t-shirt not oh. quite vintage not quite back in the day like when i bought one when i got my multi moog brand new on day of release but it's uh not the current uh, Moog shirt. Ah, uh, okay. It's so a historic in... one. Yes. I've got a new shirt too. I got a... Uh, Which you got? Uh, oh, nice. Cymru Beats, where we did a show uh, in Cardiff. Uh, I saw Simon Jones, yeah. who, who uh, runs the, the, the shop, Cymru Beats, and it's uh, oh, I quite like it, actually. He sent one the other day. Thank you very much, Simon. Do check out. If you're into modular stuff and you happen to be in Wales or in Cardiff, they have a store there and you can buy stuff and all that kind of thing. So um, I guess we should probably crack on and uh, get some topics out of the way. Uh, I want to say, um, oh, I've, I've said all the intros, I don't need to say anything else really, do I? I could just, I could actually just get on. I'm going to start with this video then. I'm into both coffee and beer, but in this video I'm going to take the bearded pilgrimage to a whole new level and design my own instrument dedicated to the beard. This is a first for me, I have never built an instrument myself. So before I set out on my bearded pilgrimage, I'm going to go and have a look at what the developers have done. I'm going to the macro page, Designer Extended. When I click on one of the layers inside one of the presets, which are the developers programs inside of Hellene 6, I can now see 
the macro page in the bottom right-hand corner if I've got that tab selected. I won't play the whole thing because it's quite an in-depth tutorial by... Uh, uh, it's by uh, VST Instrument Plug and Plugins on YouTube. Um, but the reason I brought this up is because uh, we had Gaz just over recently to do a kind of uh, an overview of Hallian 6, which is Steinberg's uh, kind of sampler thing, a sampler, sample playback recording engine. I mean, it's like it's kind of like a version of it's the sort of contact world. But I, I suspect if I liken it to that, that they probably wouldn't thank me for it. But you think of it like that. I mean, it's this incredibly complex kind of way of building samples or reading libraries. And the thing is, I don't know if you're aware of this, the thing that we discovered as we were setting up for this was that you can actually you can, so you can create macro pages for all of the stuff that you make, either via uh, using samples or via the built-in synth modules or whatever it is. So you can skin it in a way that, you know, is unique to you, create a kind of contact-style skinned instrument. But the difference is with the Halion 6 thing, as we discovered, you can export that as a Halion Sonic 3 SE, which is a free player for zero money as a, se a separate thing. So, and then you have the instrument with the GUI and all this kind of complex scripting all and the samples all in a single file. So you could effectively build what is the equivalent of a, of a compiled contact player. And then people can play it using a free player. Now, it might sound a little bit, oh yeah, so what? But actually, I think this is pretty massive news because it means that you can effectively take sample instruments or synthesis instruments to market without having to pay any kind of licensing fee to have it compiled into into a player. You do it yourself effectively. I don't know, Ben, whether you've uh, heard or uh, experienced the Halion 6 thing, but uh, I must admit it's starting to get me quite interested because I think that's a massive deal. I mean, there's nothing else that does that, I don't think, at the moment, is there? I don't think so. I mean, I've made bits of sample packs before that I won't get into and you know, when someone goes down the modular route and says, oh, I really wish I want to build a four-voice synth, and you think you don't want to buy four of every module to build a four, you end up with this, and you, you don't want this. <laughs> um, but it allows you to do those things. I think it's going to allow for such kind of complex sampler routings that you can't, as you said, bring to market yourself <clears throat> without any tools. Yeah, it seems really powerful. I've no knowledge of how Halium works, Um no contact, to be honest. My, my ability to strip those things are very much from a user perspective of once I've done the kind of collection and creation of sounds, I would have to give that to someone else. Um, yeah. Looking at this today, I did think, oh, maybe I could learn this and kind of do it a bit more on my own, cut out the middleman. Um, but I've not much knowledge of Halion. Is that um, PC and Mac? Compact. Yeah, it's a PC and Mac. It runs standalone, VST, AU, AAX. Uh, uh, we were working with it in, in, in standalone. I mean, it is really, really deep. I mean, you know, so it, but it costs like 280 quid. So it's a, and comes with 26 gigs of samples and, you know, the usual stuff. But if you don't want any of the content authoring, then you can buy a different version, which doesn't have all of that kind of macro scripting and macro and all of that business. But... It just I was like, whoa, this is, you know, it seemed like such a big deal. I'm surprised that I've only just found out about it because it's been out since May sometime. And that was just a really big surprise. Rich, I don't know. I mean, you I know you use contact instruments. You know, I mean, you buy contact libraries, you know, that sort of thing. And presumably you've got a full version of contact. So you can support some of those smaller developers who aren't selling, you know, bespoke contact compiled players. You could just, load, you know, they can you can import them into your library and it'll work. But this this is actually a pretty big deal, I think. I'm not clear exactly on how that's different from what you just described. Well, because what you can do is you, for people to play your pre-made instruments with the GUI and the interface and the scripting and all of those things, you can make the compiled thing yourself. You, you, don't, you can sell that uh, and people can play it with a free sample player, which is the Halion Sonic se3 which is a free download so they can put that on their machine and then load your stuff into it and they don't have to own the full copy of halion to access all of those good things that you've made if you see what i mean whereas i believe isn't there an analogy um, and i'm not here to defend anybody but isn't there an analogy in native instruments in other words don't they have a free contact player for which you can then compile sample sets and sell them to people without having to actually license anything from them am i wrong about that I um, I think you might be because you can't. I don't think you can uh, you can script and author that stuff because it also ties in with their copy protection system, which is obviously another issue. I'm pretty sure. I don't know Ben. Do you ah, know? Uh, that's interesting. I think I think the contact free player 
is limited in some way, just in that from use of buying packs and using. I mean, I use contacts, but my scripting knowledge is nil. Um, yeah, me too. Me too. But I, I've seen a lot where that you know it does say compatible with the contact free player or whatever the word in our name is. But I don't. I have seen packs that will only work on a full version of contact. So if this is offering right. the full big offering scripting thing that the paid for contact does in a now free compilable way yeah i guess that's the advantage that's what i took from it yeah that's the thing i mean it, what it means is you can create and distribute your stuff that's playable in a free version because if you're just a standard distributor uh, maker i think you have to uh, and you want custom scripting and custom uh, interface stuff it doesn't play directly in the contact player as far as i'm as i know you have to it has to be has to have a compiled aspect to it that is part of the native instruments licensing system that's how i understand it maybe i am completely wrong there but i figured i i'm pretty sure that was that's the reason why people sell on uh well why they sell instruments that are purely for the full version of contact does that make sense yes okay that's not a I guess so. <laughs> Anyway, um, we've got that full thing coming up shortly. Uh, we've just been working on the on the edit with Gaz, and it's uh, it, it was a it was very interesting. It's a massively deep program. I mean, it is the sort of thing that you really, you know, as with I'm sure with Contact or React, any of those things where you can get right in that deep and configure it that much, it takes quite a lot of your time, I think, potentially to kind of learn that stuff. And as you said, Ben, it's you know I I don't know about scripting, but I mean I can script a little bit. I, it's, it uses something called Lua scripting, which I I use a little bit here with this video switching system, but it's not something I'm I'm completely fluent in, which I don't know if I'll get time to make some full instruments. But I thought I'd experiment with it at some point. Um, okay, uh, and that uh, it's hard to. I would say it's quite hard to find the free Halion Sonic SE player. You have to do a Google search and get into the Steinberg site that way. You get a key, and then you have to install an e-licenser manager. If you've got an, uh, an e-licenser USB stick, that's fine, but it's it's protected via the e-licenser software component, which you can have just in software rather than hardware. You don't have to have a dongle. If that makes any sense to anybody, I hope it does. Right. Um, okay. <laughs> well, that was a short topic. Right. Let's have a look here. Um, let's see. Ah, uh, yeah. I don't know if you saw this thing as well. This was a, a great piece. Uh, it was showed up on the Warp uh, item, um, which is sort of microsite, which is Richard D. James, aka Apex Twin, talks to Tatsuya Takahashi, and they were got, they worked together on the monologue. I might maybe I just if I just play a little bit. This is a track that was made purely. Purely with core gear to accompany the article. And it's just an interesting article where uh, the guys sort of obviously clicked when they worked together. And they they were talking a lot about microtuning because one of the things that Apex uh, brought to the monologue was the ability to create microtuning. And I think that's something that, you know, it used to be common in a lot of instruments. It's not so much now, I think. And I don't know if anybody... Well, A, did you see the article, Ben? Yeah, um, people people seem to respond to it really positively, right? Yeah, yeah, really great read. Um, it reads as if it's been recorded and typed out, or they've yeah. kind of been text typing, you know, Skype messaging, Facebook message back and forth. It's a nice read um, where they're kind of interjecting with each other. The thing I really took from it, before I guess we get into the micro tuning just quickly, is now uh, Tats has left Cog. I wonder if they're going to do something together. Because reading this and their relationship, uh, clearly bouncing off each other with musical ideas and technology ideas, I got quite excited. I thought, I wonder if they're going to collab on something. I don't know what, there's no hint at this is where we're both going together, but um, very exciting. Yeah, Apex Twin touches on um, going in and sort of resetting the master tuning, I think, as his entry into... Well, it's not micro tuning, that's just globally shifting, but moving away from A being 440. Um, and then. Oh, who have we lost? We lost Ben. Ah, oh, curse. I'll tell you what, we'll come to you, Rich. <laughs> Are you, I realise you may not have had an opportunity to, to read the article being uh, on the road, but you may have done. So, depending on your. Uh, your point of view, we can come at it from one of two angles. <laughs> well, how's this? I watched that video thinking that was the prep, and I didn't see the bit about finding an article to go read. Ah. So I didn't read the article. I don't know anything about Aphex Twin or this guy. 
and uh <laughs> that's all right but but so in that case i mean the thing that's kind of interesting is micro tuning what one thing they start they, they touch on quite heavily is this concept that we're so used to this kind of equal temperament scale i mean you know yes there are deviations from that of course but generally speaking well, i know what micro tuning is and i've been thinking about it and even played around in it you know for decades i know what it is uh i don't really understand why very many people who do very many styles of music really need to be involved in it quite honestly and I would like to, you know, if I was sitting in a room right now, I'd ask for a show of hands of people who've ever worked in a tuning other than equal temperament. Yeah, that, well, that was kind of my point, really. I mean, I wonder, you know, no, I, again, because I, I suffer from the, well, not suffer, but I'm, I work in that complete standardization sort of concept of, of equal temperament tuning being the only thing I know and the only thing I know how to operate in. I just wonder what it actually can bring to a composition. Oh, well, if you tune to a key like they used to do so you had a harpsichord that was you know tuned to whatever g and it was usable in g d a and maybe you could get around e in some manner if you were careful but what happens is the uh the chords when you you know if you're tuned an instrument to g and you try to play an e flat major chord it's going to be horribly dissonant but when you lay down a g major chord it's like the sun came up it's it's glorious it sounds incredible and i think maybe if there's anything to me that's interesting about this it's that when you watch like for example a choral performance people who are doing things that are not fixed to any pitch reference they will just sort of do this and slide the tuning of each chord into something that's consonant with what an instrument would sound like if it were tuned to that chord so there is a discernible difference between the sound of equal temperament and the sound of uh, an instrument that's tuned to a particular key. But the limitation is that if it's tuned to a particular key, you really can't operate uh, harmonically uh, with, with the kinds of freedom we normally take for granted with respect to changing keys and using advanced chordal. So, so if, I get, if I get this right, when you tune it to a specific key, what you end up with is a more accurate G say chord because that you're not using equal temperament you're tuning it to the, the the proper mathematical divisions or or the or the the harmonic resonances that are a bang on rather than a kind of slightly averaging Correct. that you get ah oh, I didn't realize that that's interesting Correct well for example and for example and like I said brass instrument Oh, you're breaking up. We're having a bad, a bad video day. Ben, I'll come to you a sec. Well, Rich, uh, you were you, you did you you disappeared mid flow. So you think they might be working on something. You're hoping that there's going to be something coming along. I hope they are. I know nothing of that, and there's nothing in the article that says they are, but just their relationship from this um, article. I suggest anyone go go follow the links and read it. Um, you think if this conversation continues, they'll, they'll be on to something, um, and we may see them work on something. I hope we do. Um, I just caught in then with, with Rich about the tuning and, and quartets and choral harmony and things there was the instrument the uh was it the high pi or the h dash pi oh i don't know keyboard layout but looked like almost looked like lego buttons across the keyboard layout and he explains the the idea of this microtonal keyboard uh, really well excellent video about five minutes long and he plays a standard G, I guess, across the middle row of buttons and says if i just move the b slightly sharp and the d slightly flat kind of whichever way listen to how much more natural and the beating stops between the frequencies is that um, what you're talking about that that thing there i oh. can't see you yet but uh, okay all right never mind white, uh, white and black buttons and then green yes that's button. them i can spit i can vouch for that yeah that's interesting i've not really i've never come across right. that before i think we got rich back but not video yet so i'll just say ah there is his video yeah. i think well that's what's happening I rich see, i don't see your video I think everybody is waking up uh, at your hotel and checking their email. <laughs> could well be. Could, could be. That's the thing. That, I don't see any. I see a logo for you. I don't see a video coming back at me. Okay, I don't know what I can do about that at the moment, but okay. it should it should come back. Your video, your bandwidth is very low. You might need to switch your video off just to sort of, so we could get some audio out of you just for the for the time being. Uh, while you do that, I'm just going to come back to Ben a sec. So Ben. 
in terms of, I mean, you know, obviously in terms of scaling and all of the things that we can do with particularly modular stuff, I mean, do you find yourself drawn to those things? I mean, because our ears are so highly trained to be, you know, let's talk micro tuning at the moment, you know, rather than concert pitch. I mean, do you think that there's a, that, uh, do you find a use for that kind of stuff? Um, I think it's probably been present a bit like, you know, selected ambient works too is, is mentioned, um, the Apex Twin album in that article. And it's probably been part of us not, you know, when you're playing around, you're trying to recreate sounds or musical parts. It's probably been part of that more than we realize. Um, and if we, you know, sat there on a piano trying to work something out or a guitar or whatever the instrument is, and you're not quite getting it, you're just not quite getting the vibe. I think those really subtle, just shifting a few cents here and there is really interesting. Um, in terms of getting into completely different tuning systems, it's not something I've explored. With the modular, I tend to just tune by ear, unless I know that I'm going to pick a guitar up and play along or someone's going to play along to something that's tuned. Um, I just sort of tune a root note as low as I want that to be and go from there. So um, you, you're probably working at a, a random kind of concert pitches without realising it. You pick this, the, 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 the tuning reference that seems to fit the sound or the vibe that you're, that you're in. So the, the actual tuning reference makes no difference in terms of working with external people because you don't, don't need to worry about that at that time. Yeah, it, it just kind of is what it is. And I think I don't try and keep all my oscillators say, tuned to a C and then I'll work around that and then you know come back a week and calibrate and, and tweak again. Um, it kind of is what it is. Just turn it down, turn it up. That you know, There's a bass pitch. I'll recreate a riff. And I'm sure what that starts on influences what the patterns are um, as well. There's a great album by Detachi, who's uh, Joseph Frioli, does some lots of sound design work. But again, I, I wouldn't say sounds like AFX Twin, but in that scheme of electronic music, if you like, and he very much does the same thing, and I was very inspired by that. I asked him in an interview I did with him about tuning and what are his references, there's, and I didn't twig it was micro-tuning, but just said there's some really in, interesting chord and interval choices how are you going about tuning? And he said the same thing that the reference is just itself. You know, I, I hit the bottom note in the voice or the middle riff, and then I just tune around. Um, and he said he wasn't using quantizers as well. Um, I tend to use quantizers just to keep things in a minor or a major key um, generally, but just all by ear, he said. And some of the outcome of his work is it does twig that sound in your mind a bit like some of the pieces on selected yeah um, right okay and i thought maybe there is more to this certainly to explore and that high pie instruments video with a lego button looking keyboard yeah i'm not i'll have to check that yeah, out that's brilliant when he plays you know this is what you're used to hearing listen if i just take this sharp and you're like all right wow that sits loads smoother um definitely something to explore yeah no that does sound that does sound like a really good idea i mean i think uh i, I mean the other thing is obviously you know the the, the one thing that uh, Richard James talks about in the article was, you know, through the 1930s and 40s, they used to they used to uh, have a radio signal that was just a 440 tuning reference, so people could just tune their instruments to that reference to get, you know, so they could all play together, which is a really interesting. I mean, in terms of a cultural sort of uh, uh, assistance, that's a pretty astonishing thing. I don't know. Was there anything like that in uh, in the US, Rich? I don't know. I'm, I'm I'm not sure if we're getting your audio correctly yet. You're still a bit pixely. I'm sorry, tell me again. Um, I think you may. Can you switch your video off? We might be able to get the audio to work. There we go. Let's see if that improves your audio. Uh, okay. Is that any better? Hello, one, two. I don't know. I hear you great, so I, I don't have any experience of what you're doing, what you're hearing. Yeah, it's kind of like one bit uh, eight kilohertz. Um, yeah, I'm sorry. Oh, that's that. all right, with a bad lead thrown in for good measure. That's better. That seems to be better. Uh, I, I'm trying to remember what the question I was asking was now. You just mentioned the bit in the article where it says in the 40s. That oh, yeah, the, the tuning reference. They, they had a tuning reference sort of uh, that was uh, broadcast on national radio just to kind of so people could tune their instruments. I just thought it was a really interesting idea. I mean, obviously, we don't need that kind of thing now. I, I didn't know that. I actually didn't know that. Yeah, interesting um, concept. But I just ran that through the chat room and nobody put their hand up that they had used all the tunings. Right. Okay. 
Um, I'm having a little, your audio, let's, let's stick with it a little bit longer. Your audio is definitely, uh, not all it could be. So we just, I'll tell you what, let's take a break and, uh, we'll go to our, uh, uh, sponsorship, uh, Isotope RX six, uh, moment. And you can, uh, we can see what happens. Wow. <laughs> That's some funny noise coming there. Maybe something you could fix with RX6. Now, how about that? And it rhymed too. Isotopes RX6, of course, great audio restoration system, uh, particularly RX6 standard uh, in terms of musicians. It adds an awful lot of features that are great. Uh, micro, uh, uh, headphone debris, great for getting rid of clicks and stuff like that. De-hum, denoise, spectral repair, remove ground hum. Uh, also, dialogue denoise. There's lots and lots of features in here that are really useful for cleaning up recorded audio if you've got that great take and you don't want to take the risk of missing it out got a lot of vocal tools vocal cleaning tools uh, breath de deep breathing control which is very useful for today's pop clean vocals de-click de-pop all of those things you could basically get hold of there we go de-clip eq match de-crackle ambience match de-reverb composite view deconstruct spectral denoise you couldn't read them all out you could check it out isotope.com forward slash rx6 there's pretty much something for everybody if you work with audio at all. You head over to Isotope, you'll be able to download a copy of that, which will give you uh, 10 days free access so you can check out whether or not you uh, it's something for you. So the other thing I wanted to say was um, we have a winner from last week's competition, uh, episode 498. Uh, we uh, did a competition last week and uh, we have a winner and the winner is someone called Robert underscore Devere. That's D-E-V-E-R-E. Uh, they tweeted the hashtags that we asked for in the competition. So uh, Robert Devere or Devere, I'm not sure how you would pronounce that. Please do get in touch and uh, the Isotope people will deposit a copy of RX6 in your inbox and you can get to use it all you like. Uh, and we've also got a competition for this week. So uh, I want to say thank you very much to Isotope for bringing it in. Uh, what I'm looking for this week is a Twitter uh, competition. So what you need to do is tweet the hashtag vocal cleaning tools. That's one word, vocal cleaning tools. And the hashtag RX6 to at Sonic State and at Isotope Inc. So the hashtag vocal cleaning tools, one word, and the hashtag RX6 to Isotope Inc. and at Sonic State. Uh, and if you enter that, uh, it won't be next week, it'll be a couple of weeks because, as I said, there's no show next week or the week after, not live show. I'm working on getting some content in the Wednesday slot so you don't miss out too much. I want to say thank you very much to Isotope again for uh, supporting the competition. Right, um, let's see what else we have here. Um, this was a big bit of news. I mean, here we go. There's no audio examples, but there is a picture of a, what looks like a mock-up of the, a, another new three oscillator monosynth. This time it's from Dreadbox. I mean, it's no no uh, uh, surprise to those of you. I'm quite excited by this because I do like the sound of the Dreadbox stuff. I don't know if you saw our recent thing I did with Gaz where he brought his Abyss over and we just had a mess around with it. But this kind of looks like it's called Medusa. It's going to be available in December and it's going to be 479 euros, which seems quite reasonable. It's got a, a, a oscillator core from uh, the Dreadbox range. So it's the same kind of oscillator core as the uh, Erebus and I think the Nix as well. Ben, do we need any more three oscillator synths or do you care? You just, I mean, I don't know how where you stand on the Dreadbox stuff because uh, you're more in a modular world. So perhaps you can... Yeah, I mean, I very much like software and um, desktop synths still, um, despite people thinking it's it's only modules. Um, I, I like that it's a two-pole filter rather than a four-pole, so they've not gone the whole Model D route that a couple have recently and gone three oscillators, 24 dB, four-pole low-pass. Um, I have heard the Erebus in person quite a lot. I don't have any of their kit, but I've always been impressed. It's one of those first five minutes you kind of like, all oh, right, yeah, this is nice. Uh, good at solid oscillators. Um, it looks like a new take on the Erebus filter. Yeah, they said they've uh, a reworked filter, which makes me a little bit concerned. Obviously, they've got uh, what's it got? It's got a uh, no, oh, thick, thick, thick parameter, which yeah. is promising because I think it's got a level, so you could drive it, but it's a. Uh, uh, Sweepable between low pass, through notch, and high pass, so it might it might be slightly semi, uh, possibly in character, and then this thick knob, which I don't know what that does, but uh, as I say, there aren't any examples here. Yeah, whether that's input drive, post filter drive, feedback, um, any of the above would make me happy. Um, <laughs> uh, 
feedback and driving filters is great. It's one of those just kind of wow, wow, filter mouth kind of moments doing that. I'm um, finding it harder and harder not to do a filter mouth. I used to be impervious to it, but I find myself doing it more and more now. It, horrendous when you've got a vowel filter and you kind of, <laughs> <laughs> <you're kind> of gurning <laughs> along with a different vowel. Never, ever, ever, ever use a vowel filter live uh, if you're being filmed, I would say. Yeah, 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 good shout. The, interestingly, the, the thickness control, I think it said somewhere I was reading, it works above 110 hertz. So I get I got the impression it's some kind of distortion and they've purposely kept the low end clean for... I don't know, cleaner subs or, um, yeah, Interesting. for, oh, sorry, below. The variable thickness that is active for frequencies of 110 hertz and below. So some kind of low-end thickener. Right, okay. Well, that sounds promising. Yeah, I've, I've seen it go both ways where people deliberately saturate the top to keep the fundamental very clean and add harmonics, and then the other way, let's really thicken up and woolly up the bottom end. Right, um, great. I like that the third oscillator is sweepable and morphable between different waves. Um, I wonder about the modulation speeds. I think you've brought this up before on um, certainly on on the Nix, yeah. That for kind of drone and, and low end pedal kind of synth stuff, that it would be nice if if it went nice and low. Um, yeah, a few patch points. I think four ins, four outs. Yep, essential stuff. I think. Yeah, definitely. Um, and the sequencer as well. I think I read it can store the filters cut off, modulation, velocity, as well as obviously no on and off and pitch. Um, yeah, I'd certainly like to try it. Yeah, well, I, I don't know when it's going. I mean, obviously, it's going to be in time for the shows next year. Well, actually, it'll be if it's available December, then it's going to be coming out. We'll be seeing some stuff. Hopefully, I'll get my hands on one. Uh, calling Rich Hilton. Come in, please. How's your audio? I've Hi there, Nick. I'm working on it, and I'm working on an alternative as well. Ah, okay. Wow, this sounds this is fascinating. I, I just wonder. I mean, Rich, you know, we seem to have had this. I, I guess everybody has an idea at the same time, and then it takes you know differing amounts of time for those development cycles to result in the synth being developed. But we're seeing this kind of really big spike in three oscillator monosynths. Do you think we're going to be a bit? Yeah. Oh, oh, I, I guess it's a good thing that we have choice. But do you think there's a danger that people will just get a bit desensitized to uh, synthesizers by having too much of a good thing? Well, we're testing the market a bit. I'll give it that. But um, it seems to me like all of this Dreadbox stuff is really cool sounding, and uh, I'm quite happy to see that they're making two pole filter machines because it reminds me of the Oberheim and and those are wonderful filters and they do a lot of really cool things that aren't available to a four pole filter really and uh I like that and it's a less like it's a, so, yeah it's a less familiar you know, sound as well isn't it maybe it's less familiar but but uh certainly you know it's not everything I guess OB6 must have a two pole filter in it and uh everybody's enamored of that thing as I am. So I'm, I'm quite glad that they've done this, and uh, I look forward to hearing it. I think they're I haven't touched one of their instruments yet, but you guys have really got my curiosity up. Yeah, you should really check it out. As I've said before, yeah, I charismatic. I mean, it's interesting. I mean, there's so much choice out there now, and it's it's interesting the way that they're, you know, you one seemed, I mean, even though I, I, I do try and be impartial, there's this sort of warm, fuzzy feeling about smaller boutique manufacturers kind of entering a wider kind of market and kind of doing well. I don't know if you get the same vibe with the, the modular people. You know, you might get a kind of big manufacturer sending something and it, you don't warm to it in the same way. And I don't want, I mean, it's a sort of prejudice in a weird kind of way. I wonder why that happens, but hey. Yeah. Mm. You, I don't think we can help ourselves that you kind of... It's the underdog, isn't it? I yeah, suppose. You buy into that, you know, they've made 20 <laughs> of these with their hands in their kitchen. <laughs> so you really want them to be doing well. And, and when the stuff is as good as the things the kind of big boys are doing, if you like, and equally sort of sonic match to a more expensive instrument or something mass made, um, it's really easy to buy into. And by all accounts, their stuff sounds great. One thing I would like to see is an external input for their filters. I don't know if they do that. I know they polychain. Uh, yes, there is an external input on the uh, on the. Uh, now, what am I thinking? It's on the Erebus. Well, it's not just. It's an external. There is an external input and an external input on the Nix as well. Okay. I, I mean, I did wonder 
I guess it's because I haven't had any to really get into the different characters of them all, but is it the third mono box from Dreadbox? Um, well, in recent times, yes, it is, because uh, it's, um, it's actually... Uh, sorry, Rich. I think Rich has just re- rejoined us with a new network connection. Also, I think it is uh, in the desktop format because obviously they started off with. I've, gosh, I'm trying to remember what their first, foot, the sort of carpet covered ones, which everybody sort of thought were really cool. Uh, one was, yeah. I think, Paraphonic. I forget the name of them now. But then they kind of they came back into focus with the Erebus, the Nix, and uh, is there a Hades? But I think that's maybe a module as well. But yeah, Rich, yeah. we've we've got you back. That's better. You on your mobile now? feeding off of my local my uh cable my cellular provider so there we go isn't it, it comes to something when you're when you're mobile your cellular is better than the hotel hotel internet most times quite often most unless times you pay unless you pay for the premium which in this case i didn't see offered um which i often do pay for but uh yeah figured this might work Excellent. Well, we've got you back. That's good. But anyway, the Dreadbox, uh, like I say, 12th, uh, it's coming out in December. It's going to be four, what did they say it was going to be? Four, uh, 429 euros, which is actually cheaper than the than the, the Nix, but it doesn't have the external, uh, the, the effects, as far as I can tell. Yeah. It's got the, uh, it was developed by Polyend, wasn't it? Oh, the sequencer, yeah. I like, yeah. The, I like the idea of these manufacturers taking kind of, parts of even more boutique manufacturers and bringing them in and sort of incorporating them into their into their rigs. I think that's a pretty good idea. Yeah, I love that. You know, the best bits of, you do sequencing really well, we'll have that. <laughs> yeah. Why not? You know, it's a good way to work. Makes perfect sense. Right, here's another video. Which starts off with a bit of cheese. Oh yeah, Grandmaster Flash Vibe. Wow, it doesn't that take you back to the sort of uh, the heady days of uh, ROM demos on Roland keyboards? Uh, that's the sound of uh, the uh, JDXI new set of sound banks from Ultimate Patches. And uh, if you listen to the whole video, there's actually some really quite uh, a. There are uh, so many little musical sketches in there, which must have taken an age to do. But b. The JDXI, I, I, I would like to raise a hand for it being a potential future classic due to the fact that it's it's just so much fun to use. I know, Rich, you've probably got thoughts there because uh, when we saw Sheik at Glastonbury, your guy, I forget the name of the keyboard player, was using the, for Get Lucky, he was using the vocoder in the JDXI on stage. So that proves it's it's tourable and those things. But it's a great little synth. For f- it is a great little synth. That's Russell Graham. That's right. It. And... Um brilliant musician by the way and engineer um and great guy uh it's a very very cool instrument uh we it hasn't failed us yet and we do have two of them um (laughs) uh it's uh sounds great for what we use it for and it and in addition to that it'll do a whole ton of other stuff but for us it was kind of simple we needed a portable vocoder that was small and light and that he could play easily and rest easily in his rig and it does all that too, but uh, it's just a brilliant instrument, and uh, I, I actually haven't spent much time on it myself. Also, last year we toured with Duran Duran, and Nick Rhodes has quite a few uh, Roland JDX, I think A. He's had, yeah, he's, he's just like surrounded by them. I think the last yeah, picture I saw. He's got tons of Roland gear on stage right now. Yeah, some yeah. Which, uh, yeah, I guess some of I guess uh, we do hear some of that, and we also hear some other things that are being triggered that you aren't seeing but um anyway yeah great gear yeah i don't know ben have you had a chance to check out the jdx i mean i reviewed it a while back and i remember thinking it gave me that same vibe when i first got the d110 it's like wow i can do all this stuff with it it had that very much kind of like home studio demo thing but it's you know it, it takes it sounds cheesy it can sound cheesy but it's one of those things that you can get in quite deep and tailor it to be more of your own thing i don't know have you put your hands on one no, I'm uh, at Superbooth last year, just very briefly, but it, it straight away watching this demo, <clears throat> shot to one of the synths that um, I have a few friends, me being the kind of synth guy, they're always saying, you know, 
I've got my electro keys and my piano sounds down out for wedding gigs and stuff. I need a kind of synth for certain stuff. And straight away watching this demo video, I thought, yeah, that's something to pass on. There is some cheesy sounds, um, some fun, some a little more cheesy than others. Um, is there a lot of sample playback on that? There was a kind of symphonic string thing. In um, I think it's got a bunch of PCM sounds, if I remember correctly. They're uh, sort of it's that sample and synthesis kind of combination and then there's a single mono voice which is is not a great mono voice but the thing that really works well on it i mean the pattern sequence is really good fun uh, and it's also got um oh what was i looking for uh, the drum sounds you can edit individual drum sounds and send individual sounds within a kit to the onboard effects and compression and stuff you know which is actually pretty advanced for somebody who maybe just wanted to kind of go I just want to see if I can make any because you can always revoice it. But as a sketch machine, that and a laptop or that on its own, and just play with it, you could get some you know musical ideas down on it. Definitely, there's some great sounds, yeah, and I thought it works great for players. Enough kind of tweaking on screen, um, yeah, I couldn't fault it. And I think the sounds in the whoever's done all the demos, there's a lot of time in that. <laughs> all these short little sound bites, but there's loads of them. You know, I've spent ages preparing little backing beats and. It's great, just real quick fire demo video. Yeah, and it and I suppose that's the thing. It it, it kind of highlights the fact that it can it, you can do that actually quite easily. I, mean, I remember when I reviewed it, I filled up load a half a bank or a bank of just with little sequences and ideas for you know yeah okay it sounds a bit cheesy but it, you can get the uh, you get the basic the bones of and the vibe of an idea down which you could then expand on. That's the point of it. And there aren't, I mean there are things, but I mean it's like a poor man's op one. Although it's a similar price, it's not as quite as weirdly creative, but it's sort of it's got a similar sort of vibe to it. Rich, I saw your eyebrows furrow there. I'm trying to understand the relationship between this thing and the OP one, uh, but I don't have an OP one. Self-contained little creative workhorse, I suppose. Yeah, it's not but quite the OP one. Reminds me of the VL tone. Yeah, it does. Yeah. About. I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> <laughs> talk about form factor issues, but but. Uh, but people love it, and I'm sure it's a lot of fun. And if I had one, I'd probably use it all the time. But uh, it's okay. Yo, I, I know what's going to happen. Wow, really? Russell's going to go to his case and go, where's my JDHXI? And Rich uh, go, oh, sorry, I took it back to the hotel room again. Yeah, I cried. <laughs> and then he's going to say, good thing I brought a spare. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Anyway, I just thought it was a bit of fun because it was one of those things where a set of sounds kind of just reminded me of kind of what fun that thing was. And it's, there's no other reason for it. It was just thought, you know... It, it's worth checking out because it's quite a lot of fun. Uh, as is our very own uh, Wave Junction Max for Live synth, which uh, I forgot to advertise last week, which I feel very ashamed of. But uh, this is uh, three filters, five LFOs, five envelopes, uh, two oscillators with wavetable uh, capabilities, sort of super wave stuff where you can detune and FM and cross mod. It's actually really quite a powerful synth and you can do a lot of complex modulations with it. Works in Max for Live, which is obviously an Ableton uh, platform. You need to have Max for Live too. But if you want to get hold of it, we're running a little offer, uh, a Sonic Talk offer, which is, uh, uh, if you scroll back to my page, if you uh, come back to me, um, you could get 10% off the lift's price. All you need to do is when you go to checkout, uh, you go, you put in this, the code WJTALK. That's one word, all capitals. I'm not sure if it needs to be capitals. So WJ Talk, and you get an extra 10% off. And to get there, you just go to bit.ly slash wavejunction, all one word. So please do. It helps support the site, and uh, hopefully it will help us mean that we can release some more things in the future. So, yes, get your 10% off with the WJ Talk. Remember, you do need Max for Live in Ableton, so don't buy it just, you know, unless you just want to waste money. <laughs> Although you might get Max for Live in the future. I'm not a very good salesman. What the hell? Right, let's see what else we've got next. Um, oh, yeah. Something diff something a bit different. Hey, my name is Pete Edwards, and this is my new friend, the Soft Pop. Soft Pop is a psychedelic analog synth creature with a wet sound and a rowdy spirit. The true nature of Soft Pop can be explored by anyone with a bit of playful curiosity. Its basic six-fader interface is simple and intuitive. Yes. Ow! My ears! <laughs> Bastel Soft Pop. I mean, they are really well known for doing this quirky stuff. I mean, we've got the Bastel Castle and all these other things. I know you're probably... I, I know their Eurat modules are very well thought of, you know, and they, they really kind of exploded onto the modular scene because they had this kind of slightly different angle to it. And the Soft Pop is no different, really. I suppose... 
I'm fine. I mean, the, the kind of modular nature, I think I've got a picture of it up here. The modular nature of it, you've got these little kind of patch points, which are just sort of dry wire type uh, inserts. There's no pins on them. Um, is there, is there, it seems very toy-like, but I mean, do, do you think there's there's a use for this kind of thing in people's setup, or is it one of those things where you use it and just go, hey, I'm using one of these. Doesn't that make me, I don't know, crazy? A crazy guy? Um, I'm not... I, I kind of question the, the patching on these things. I know there's the tiny sizer and a few other devices that have these. It's jumper wire, isn't it? It's just effectively just wire with a bit of a coating. Yeah. I mean, your rack is uh, crammed enough at sometimes with mini jacks. Um, I know people that use the tiny sizer and say it's fine. Um, I question whether I'd be able to uh, comfortably get in and remove a bit of jumper wire from the middle of that sort of patch bit yeah, without dislodging everything else yeah. yeah that's a fair point i think these things often for me anyway things like the pocket operators and cog volkers and all these kind of things they do often inspire a track or an idea or sound effect or collection of sounds for something um i like to look at them as um almost like hip-hop producers crate digging vinyl i like the idea of sort of crate digging the synth toys if you like for sample fodder and then redo other things i think you potentially struggle to use it live in any kind of pitched sense but it does have as they say at the start a really wet kind of dripping sound i think it, it, i'd certainly like to play on it they gave me a great demo at super booth actually and it was one of those i must have one of these kind of demos um but since then i've looked at it on and off and i'm not quite sure where i'd place it um i mean the pocket operators and volkers have pitch sequencing and a little bit more integration than the jumper wire so i'm not too sure but i do like all their modules i really do like what bastel are doing and things like the grandpa little desktop sampler it's great so i think having tried one maybe i'd be one round but i'm not too sure yeah, I guess that's the thing. I mean, maybe that's what, maybe that's the kind of thought behind these things because Korg kind of nailed it first, didn't they, with the little monotrons and the and what have you. Maybe, do you think there's an element of it's like impulse buy? Although I don't think this one is all that cheap, is it? This is uh, I don't know what this one costs. It costs yeah, it's three hundred euros, so it's not quite the impulse buy. I don't know. I mean, it's not quite speak and spell, but it's not quite TB three hundred three either, is it, Rich? I kind of like it. It's quirky as hell and cool mm-hmm. and fun and in a world that we live in now where the synth business is Toys R Us. Um, this is a cool one. It does unique things, has unique sounds. And I think if we had one, and, I, and I'm and i like Ben on this one, I wish I had one to play with so I'd have a better sense of this, but I think if you had one, you'd find places to use it. It's, it's, it's not like there's a hole in your life where this thing belonged. It's like you'll find new things to do with it, I think. <laughs> and... Uh, I think all the points Ben made about the patch points being a bit delicate and finicky, especially for a guy with like, what did uh, Ty call them? Uh, sausage fingers. I mean, I have these really, really thick freaking fingertips and uh, it's tough for me to operate things that small. Um, but I'm not sure I'd care. Quite honestly, I'm not buying it to be, you know, to replace, you know, the modular in the corner with, that I don't have. Um, I'm buying it to be a cool, quirky noise-making machine. And uh, I'm cool with that. And it would sit very nicely next to all that cool Dreadbox stuff. And, you know, you'd find something to do with it. Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, if I just go to the screenshot of it, it, it's a, it looks like one of those um, uh, that's with a lot more connection. One of, it looks a bit like a kind of cheap DJ mixer, doesn't it? You almost, you know, that speaker there looks like it's kind of a turntable, but I'm guessing that's like a a little headphone or tiny little um, speaker, you know, that so you can you can do it on the bus. I don't know whether it's battery or it requires mains i can't see that i would guess it's probably going to require some sort of external power supply i'm not sure ben do you know do you know that do you know this battery i think i'm pretty sure they just picked it up with a wooden as you scroll down the bastel site almost looks like they, they brought it out at super booth almost like here's your cheese board oh yeah there it is yep i see what you mean handle on it um i think it's battery powered yeah i'm sure you'd find something really fun on this um remember years back when quirky kind of synth apps were coming on to friends getting iPhones and iPads and things at the time, an app called Bebop, and it was just a robot that went up and down in pitch in one direction and volume in another, and the robot literally just rocks back and forth. 
and it ended up in a production that did fairly well. That was, I think, you know, you know what? I think that was a Jordan Rudess app. Was it? it yeah. yeah, it could have been. And it was one of those that you'd hear it played in places and just smile at this little robot kind of <laughs> rocking back and forth. And, you know, on a big system, it, it just created this kind of pitch rise effect. Very typical dance music, pitch riser, everything crashes in at the end. I'm sure this would create some really quirky and cool, either just textures or like that transitional effects. There he goes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> awesome live demo <laughs> how useful is that awesome i bet you'd be using that tonight rich in the uh oh, at the I auditorium how, how many years have i carried this thing around waiting for this <laughs> <laughs> that was worth the 99 cents it cost right there yeah <laughs> yeah no i think you've got a point there um ben i mean there's there is you know thing when things have a use then it's it, it, it can be worth, but this is a little more than an impulse buy, isn't it? I suppose. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I mean, into a get yourself a long enough reverb and delay, and I'm sure you'll find a use for it. Um, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not quite reverb sure. fixes everything. Yeah, yeah, just up the reverb time until it sounds right. Um, I'm not sure what the connections are on the back. Um, I think there is external in, but I don't know if it's a filter or how that interacts. I kind of like that. I don't know that it's not a really obvious okay this runs hold on here we go there's a uh oh what's that uh a b c b a whatever that is and then external and an out i don't know what that means but there are the connections (laughs) whatever they are yeah for pocket i think it would work really well like i said just priced out of the impulse range to kind of throw it on a table with a pocket operator and a volker sample or ah i think they're bussing by the looks of it so you've got these little switches here uh where you send them left or right uh and then or i know there must be separate buses that you can maybe uh maybe they're inputs i think uh and they're stereo inputs so you've got three separate buses cba and then so you could presumably being in six control voltages and then patch them into the patch bay that's my guess yeah that just shows just shows how little i know about it but uh, i'd like to try one out it'd be kind of kind of fun i think yeah and low pass band pass high pass in the middle of that patch bay just looking at the zoomed in picture um yeah good fun i think you it probably the, the selling point could be sound like free rolls of modular in a box <laughs> yes yeah. those bleeps and bloops but i know people take several rolls of modular to create um <laughs> I, i've seen it i, I i've been i've experienced i've seen it i filmed it and i've uh i've wondered myself about the enormity of equipment that goes into re- to re- to you know making what seems a very uh unconvincing <laughs> yeah <laughs> sometimes yeah. That's, that's fair at points yeah <laughs> Um, and I'm guilty of just noodling endlessly. Yeah, that's, that's part of the fun. You're kind of opening yourself up to more criticism doing it on uh, gear that costs 10 times the price of the softball. <laughs> I really like the the non-obvious kind of legend in as well. You know, the plus. Uh, it looks like a plus and a triangle wave at the bottom of those jacks. I yeah. think it would be good fun. It looks like something that was designed during an era when, like, ham radios were popular hobby items. <laughs> it's... it's it's got the, a very old school kind of Flash Gordon futuristic vibe to it. it it's I just I actually quite dig the physical design of this thing. There we go. Right. Well, that, Rich, uh, that maybe it's something you need to order for your seven weeks on the road. You can sit in the back of the bus and drive the rest of the band to to, to go and talk to the driver. I was going to say, see how long <laughs> until uh, they find a new keys player <laughs> to do that to do that with. Excellent. Uh, right. I, I think uh, I was, uh, there was a, a topic about uh, library music and stuff, but I just feel like we haven't going to get all that much time. Maybe, maybe, maybe we'll try and snip that in. Is anyone, has everybody in for time? Have you got time to do a quick uh, 10 minutes on the, on this final topic folks? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Right. Well, I'll bring that up. This was an article, a series of articles on Sound on Sound uh, magazine, uh, which soundonsound.com, obviously long established, very well regarded uh, music technology site, you know, mo- well, web magazine. Most of us probably started out reading this but back in the day. And this was, uh, I, I happened to see this series by Dan Graham. I haven't read all of it because I, uh, 
I didn't get past the uh, the full article side of it, but it got me thinking. Uh, I mean, basically, it covers kind of the business, the disciplines, the kind of things that if you're getting into library music, because as we all know, there are many different ways to make music, uh, um, to make a living in music, and a lot of people uh, work in library music, and it requires a very different set of disciplines. Because in the, his article, he suggests you know you should be thinking about doing at least a track a week. So you know we're talking fifty tracks a year, because it's all about getting this large library of back catalogue that then feeds into your revenue stream. And it's an interesting idea because it means that you have to be very, very disciplined. I don't know, Ben, I know you do a lot of different things musically yourself, you know, in terms of kind of supporting your own career. Have you done any library stuff? Yeah, um, I was really fortunate enough to to work with um, Universal to start with. Um, so sort of straight in there with a great established company. Um, and yeah, it's definitely about, it's, it's by no means the majority of my income. I have friends that just do this for large companies that, that do very well, some that make a lot of money, some that just make a living. So it's definitely viable. Um, some of them talk about kind of making an album a month, um, you know, more than a track a week, but they're in a position where they have no other, work that's kind of easy to do if that's all you do all week i guess and have no family or life or commitments i suppose yeah yeah if we just sort of went and saw family on a weekend and did nothing else most of us could make a track in a week um but yeah it's it's an interesting world there's a lot of sound alike work copycat kind of work and then some the strand i've always liked to take is if i've ever been asked to do anything that sounds like someone else is to kind of, if it's electronic this is anyway think I need to make something they would play in a DJ set as opposed to I need to copy their biggest single. Um, that's definitely gone against me at times, um, but I don't find that as interesting, trying to tread the line of completely ripping someone off, um, which I think is probably why I've not as much work as some of my friends. But it's an interesting world. You do need to build an absolute mass catalogue up to start seeing much income. And it takes a long time. You know, if, if someone in another country licenses it for a program they have to film the program you know it might be 18 months before you see anything from a track you might never see anything from a track so you're kind of making your money by numbers effectively oh that was interesting i mean because in many ways it, it it's for a lot of people you know uh, they tend to cut you know editors will maybe cut to a track that is not unlicensable, but out of their budget range, you know, so they might be using, I don't know, a Coldplay track and they love the vibe of it and they, they, they cut all of their stuff to it. But when it comes down to the actual final production of it, they cut, they don't have the budget to use that. So I, I mean, it's just a general kind of uh, information about how library music works. So they would tend to maybe look to the libraries and find something that had those emotional ass attributes or sound, or sound alike or made them feel good in a certain way. And you pay a much more fixed kind of fee. In many ways, a lot of the production houses, they, what they do is they would pay a fixed kind of monthly uh, subscription or whatever or yearly subscription and then they top it up with the, the, the rights that then go with it or their buyouts or whatever. So it's a very specific uh, um, thing. I know, Rich, I mean, you mostly, mostly as I, you know, you worked in the kind of commercial recording side of things. Have you ever had any dealings with the library side of stuff or work with people that do? Not directly, not really. First of all, there's this there's the question of, I mean, if you ask me, would it be fun to once a week sit down and write a new piece of music and start one just to have it? And that that's fun to me because it's not driven by anything but my own artistic interests. When it comes down to having to create a library like this, and especially if it, a lot of it has to be imitated with respect to the style and what's taking place at any given moment in the music world, that feels to me like standing on the beach and throwing rocks into the ocean, hoping to build a wall someday. It just, <laughs> it just really is a long kind of slog uphill trying to maintain some sort of creative focus and inspiration and just imitating a lot of stuff. And that, that doesn't sound very appealing to me. Now, in terms of imitating stuff, I've done quite a bit of it, and I think I'm actually pretty good at it. And there was a television commercial we did a few years ago that they wanted to use the song Good Times, but they didn't want to pay whoever owns Good Times anymore uh, the licensing fee. So we remade Good Times, and uh, Hershey's used it in a television, a candy ad for television. So um, I'm not unsympathetic to having to imitate things, and I'm not unable to do it. But if you told me 
that my life was essentially going to amount to, like I said, throwing one pebble at a time into the ocean and trying to build a wall with it. I, I that's a kind of grim looking thing to me. Yeah, it takes I'm sure a, those. I'm it, sure those guys do very well. It takes it. It takes a lot of discipline. I mean, I know a guy. Um, there's a guy who did some live blogging for us at uh, Nam a few years ago. A guy called Jason Donnelly who uh, lives in LA, and he's doing really well. I mean, he he does samples. He does, but he also does uh, library music, and he he really kicks out but he's always posting saying oh this got on an hbo thing this got and his tracks are starting to you know and i think you get you get to the point where people look for you as an artist as well because they know your stuff will fulfill what they want or they they like what you do so you effectively you become you become an artist in the library world and then you can then then you can command higher fees and people want your stuff and it's premium and that and i guess it's the same way as building a reputation as just a recording artist as well same sort of deal but maybe you know different route but it, a lot of the stuff, I prefer it to be purpose-driven. Like, I have a friend who does a lot of uh, sports theme work for CBS Sports in America. And uh, chances are, if you're watching a golf match or they're bumping to commercial at some, you know, at some kind of an event like that, and some kind of, like, smoking guitar solo comes up, you know, against some music you've never heard but sounds pretty cool, it's probably him, or it very often is him. And, and it's really cool stuff that he does. But I, I, I think, I don't, th- but maybe I'm wrong. I don't know if he writes into a vacuum 99% of the time, hoping for that 1%. Ah, you see, writing, writing to a brief would be, a be- yeah, I guess, a better. Yeah, writing into a vacuum is weird to me. But on the other hand, just writing for its own sake is fun. Yeah. I'm not sure where my own psychology comes into this, but, but uh, it's, I, I, you know, it's a, uh, as the Flintstones uh, appliances used to say, it's a living. Absolutely. Well, uh, actually, we're going to hopefully I'm trying to line up uh, a sort of Skype interview uh, with uh, Jason, who's also known as DJ Puzzle. Really nice guy. Great, great guy. Uh, and he's going to you know, have a look around his studio and talk through his process and how it works. And, you know, I know it's taken a while to build up. So I'm just really curious to see how that all works. Well, I'm glad we got a little bit of that in. But it feels like now perhaps we're we're at the end. I have no more. I have no more topics unless there's anything. Else. Well, ben, I, actually, I did want to ask you before we go, what have you got going on? Because you review a lot of modular stuff and you kind of do various things. What What's coming out on, uh, on DivKid video on YouTube next? Um, I'm working on some presets for the Rossum Yororak modules, the Control Forge and Satellite modulation modules. A um, little tricky to get your head around. They're not quite sequences, they're not quite envelopes, but they're step-based timing events that can be an envelope or a sequencer or some hybrid. So trying to get a series of presets that make it much more basic for people to learn, okay, if I put a gate in, I can see it move through steps like a sequence, or I can see this holds like an ADSR, or, and then build it up from there. I'm trying to create a series of presets that are almost like a tutorial thing working alongside Rossum. Um, some videos of some older modules coming up, and Modular Meets Leads. Um, the leads of course, yeah. In about a month, he's taking a lot of focus. I've got Chris Carter from Frobbing Gristle coming up to play. Nice. Uh, Scanner. Uh, kind of maybe not for the general music tech world but potentially a a bigger module announcement some new modules um and we've expanded with a couple of presentations the day after so after you've nursed your head from the uh good food and drink on site and some loud modular music um you can ease into the sunday with um, a more gentle presentation excellent what's the date of that ben uh saturday 19th of august and sunday the 20th it's free at the belgrave music hall in leeds and is there a, a url that uh, people can go to or is they just look it up on facebook what's the best way yeah facebook.com uh, slash modular meets is probably the best everything's announced through there if not there's a twitter at modular meets all one word Excellent. Well, we went last year, uh, and uh, was it last year? It was last year. Yeah. It was a great weekend, actually. I really enjoyed myself. And it's a lovely venue as well, so I wish you the best of luck with that. Um, so, yes, thank you very much, Ben, for joining us. Um, we'll speak to you again soon. Like I say, we've only got we've got a couple of weeks off, and then uh, back in for episode 500. 500, my God. Makes me feel, that's, that's almost 10 years of this. That's astonishing, really. Uh, and also, Mr. Rich Hilton, I hope you have a great gig uh, tonight with your chic compadriots. And if you see John Van Eaton, say hi to him for us. 
That's... I will, and I'm going to be looking for him. Excellent. Uh, I hope it goes well. And then have you got a gig the next night, or have you got a long travel, or are you doing a residency there for a couple of nights? Five gigs in a row. Five, five in five nights in five different cities coming up, and then a long drive to Phoenix, and then the sixth in seven nights. Whoa, hardcore. Excellent. That sounds, that sounds like it's going to be challenging, but boy, will the band be hot by the second night. If they hotter, hotter, I should say. You know, it's the it's. I like to say it's the safest place in the world on stage with Chic. Excellent, that's fantastic. Thank you very much. Anyway, Rich, lovely to have you. Thank you for stepping in and, and getting up early. If indeed you did rise, especially for us, that's very much appreciated. Thank you, and also thank you very much, Ben. We'll see you again yeah. very soon. Thanks for having us. Uh, no problem okay that's it for this time I want to say thank you very much for watching uh, don't forget subscribe uh, there are a lot we've got I was looking and we've got coming something like 15-20 videos in the pipeline short edited ready to come so there's a lot of stuff coming over the summer so please do if you want to stay informed subscribe to the Sonic State channel and do all of those things that you know that one does to uh, stay in touch with us we've very much appreciated it that's it for this week I want to say thank you very much and we'll see you next time <laughs>